0: So having completed a, a introduction to Ecclesiastes on the 1st, uh, Matt called me this week and said he was going to be in uh, Colorado visiting friends that had health emergency. Um, sounds like he's doing well. Pretty scary event. Um, and uh, so we're in Ecclesiastes 1 and 2. We'll pick up speed now uh, because... The way this is written, it's large chunks of big ideas, and we're going to cover that, and then we're going to look and and give a real-life application to the text out of the New Testament uh, by Jesus himself and take a look and hopefully learn from that. Those of you who uh, have ever tried to achieve anything in life, can gain something from today's text, and that would be from Morgan playing video games, which, when I was his age, I could have just smoked him. I was so good at those things, it wouldn't have even been close. In fact, I'm pretty sure if I got back on there and did Call of Duty, it would be an epic battle, at least. Um, I've spent my fair share of time doing that stuff. Um, versus uh, you know, those who are in the middle of pursuing life, pursuing their careers, trying to build a family, trying to build uh, a business, um, and forsaking those things that we look at as being childish, those entertainment things that we do to pass our time, sports and stuff like that have passed us by. Um, I'm still a little bit immature in that because I still enjoy the competition and everything that, that athletic, athletics bring. Um, and then there's those of you who have gotten to a point where now your goal is to start collecting the stuff, um, and not in, a, not in a bad way. Um, I see all too often, I take care of a lot of military people, retired military in my practice, and all too often I see uh, a husband pass away and leave basically nothing to their wife. For her care and sustenance till she dies. Um, it happens a lot. And so there's some... Be- the, none of these things I'm saying are bad, and we're going to cover that. But each one of you can identify, I think, with those three things in life, those three stages of life, um, and where you're at right now and where you want to be. That stage of kind of entertaining, then, then of building and accomplishing, and then moving on into... Uh, collecting and gathering. And Ecclesiastes here is going to speak to that. Some other things along the way we're going to learn, but uh, just to let you know, that's, that's kind of where we're headed. And like I said, we're going to end in Luke and see what uh, the Lord had to say specifically about this specific passage. Again, I, I, I'm, I love study Bibles. I, I wore two Ryrie study Bibles out. Um, in my lifetime, Anna MacArthur, and it's great to have those and to look at things. I'd just remind you that there's also, in most of those Bibles, you'll find a listing of verses (laughs) attached to each verse called cross-references, and if you really want to know what the verse is about and get the context and things, that's probably uh, a more valuable tool than we sometimes realize, And, and we're going to take advantage of some of that today. So we finished basically verses 1 and 2, and I'll start there anyway, and we're, let's just work through here. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What advantage does man have in all his work, which he does under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever forever also the sun rises and the sun sets and hastening to its place it rises again blowing towards the south then turning towards the north the wind continues swirling along and its circular courses the wind returns all the rivers flow into the sea yet the sea is not full to the place where the rivers flow there they flow again all things are wearisome man is not able to tell it the eye is not satisfied with seeing nor is the ear filled with hearing That which has been is that which will be, and that which has been done is that which will be done. So there's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one might say, see, this is new already as it existed for ages which were before us. There is no remembrance of the earlier things and also of the later things which will occur. There will be for them no remembrance among those who will come later still. Kind of bookending this and and sprinkled in the middle is this phrase, under the sun. And uh, some would say, and, and there's some truth to it, that there are two phrases in here that are going to be really important to understanding Ecclesiastes. And that is the phrase under the sun and the phrase under heaven. Under the sun is a reference to this world and the way it works in the futility that happened after the fall. Everything that happens right now is happening under the sun. And then there is the the presence of what is actually taking place under heaven, where not just what happens at an earthly level, but what happens as God steps in. And probably the most stark contrast that I have for that is where it says, is there anything of which one might say, see, this is new? Already, as it exi- it has existed for ages, which were before us, and that that preceding that, it says there is nothing new under the sun, and and we all know that there's there's some truth to that, and it talks to some of those things here, but we also know that at one point Jesus Christ did not was not man, and he became man, and God being man was a new thing, right? It's like and then going to the cross and dying for sins, and then being the first one in the history of the world to be risen from the grave and given a glorified body. That was a new thing. God destroying the earth in a flood, that was a new thing. So this isn't saying that there's nothing new under heaven. As God steps into the plan of the earth... It's saying there is nothing new under the sun. There is nothing new down here. Our lives are not all that different than the lives of people two, 3,000 years ago. We think they are, but really we'd find out that they're not. Some of the same struggles those people have are some of the same struggles we have. They all live on the same earth. We breathe the same air. We experience a lot of the same challenges with others in relationships in providing for ourselves and building for ourselves and entertaining ourselves in our life our birth our death so many of those things are are over and over again and, and and I bring up that again the 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 idea that there's this circle of life that that underneath the sun it looks like that's how things work that it's just this ongoing circle over and over again and we see the picture of that with the flowing of the sea, the rivers into the sea, and we learn when we're little in school that okay then then out in the sea it evaporates and it becomes clouds and then those clouds move over the land and it rains again and it goes back and then fills the rivers and and melts and all that stuff and it gets there into the seas again and it's just a nice circle. I made a great, is it called a terrarium, for a, for a science project and that was the whole thing. Let's show this circle of water how water circulates through the earth. It is interesting though that that even man, without believing that God is 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 in existence and interacting with us, that we see how the earth is designed to be in a continual state as it sits. People worry about the solar ice caps melting and and that it's going to flood all of our major cities. Well, I just challenge you to take a big chunk of ice and put it into a glass and, of water and watch the ice melt over the next 24 hours and see if the water in the glass is any higher than it was when you started. And guess what? It won't be. Um, the, our world is set so that things do continue, they, they keep marching forward on this stage. And, and it would be a shame to believe that that's all there is. And it's not, there isn't, that isn't all there is. For something happens under heaven where God steps in. All things are wearisome. Man is not able to tell it. I'll pick on Mo again. Mo, is there... Yeah, put your phone down. Is there... (laughs) Are there video games you don't play anymore that you beat? Are there video games you don't play anymore? Did they become wearisome? They're just like I've done this how many times? I think I'm good. Yeah, absolutely. There are. There's so much in this world that we do, and 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 we pick on Mo. But each one of you knows there's things in your heart that you've turned to, to be to find enjoyment in, and fulfillment in, or even just amusement in. And eventually, it loses its luster, and it's gone. And it's it's a view that that uh, we have. That the secular world has. It's not just us that thinks that. I, I joke with people, but I think there, there's certainly some truth in it. I think Metallica, the, the group, has some pretty good theology sometimes. They have some pretty good insight, to be honest. I wish I may, wish I might have this wish I wish tonight. But are you satisfied? Dig for gold, dig for fame. You dig to make your name. Are you pacified? All the wants you waste, all the things you've chased. It all crashes down and you break your crown and you point your finger, but there's no one around. Just one thing, just to play the king. But the castle's crumbled and you're left with just a name. Where's your crown, king? Nothing. Where's your crown? And it goes on and it talks about what we're talking about here, the fact that you chase everything in life and you try to gather it around you. And pretty soon you realize that all of it was just a dream. None of it was any value. Just to show that nothing has changed. This was written like in the 80s. And then in, in Shakespeare's time, if we shadows have offended, think but this and all is mended. That you have but slumbered here. And all these visions that appear are nothing more than a dream. Even that idea was there back in Shakespeare's time. We look at Patton and the, the, the way that Patton believed you led men and, and as a leader the way you stepped into their lives and controlled them and he was brutal to his own men for fear of their deaths and fear that he would lose and understood the challenges. You go back to Shakespeare again and read Henry V and you're going to find the same thing, the same ideas are there. He wasn't bringing any, forth anything new for us. His ideas were hundreds of years old, at least. More likely thousands. There's no remembrance of the earliest things and also of the later things which will occur. There will be for them no remembrance among those who will still come later. So much of the political things that we entertain ourselves with now... You have to understand that 20, 30, 40 years ago, the exact same things were happening. It just wasn't, we weren't able to have access to it because of social media. Now it's amplified even more, but the struggles that took place in the 80s between Republicans and Democrats are not all that different between what happens now between the two parties and how things work. Verse 12, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and and I set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom concerning all that has been done under heaven. Then an interesting comment here, it is a grievous task which God has given to the sons of men to be afflicted with. What's a grievous task? I think it's this task that he set for himself. He wants to look and see why is it that everything works the way it does? Why does it seem like there's so much futility? And coming with that will be great grief. He'll touch on that in verse 18 as well. I've seen all the works which have been done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, Behold, I have magnified and increased wisdom more than all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my mind has observed a wealth of wisdom and knowledge. And I set my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly, and I realized that this, is also, that this also is striving after wind, because in much wisdom there is much grief, and increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. And certainly if you go back to, uh, let's turn to that First Kings. If you turn back, Samuel came along and he, he anointed the first kings. So Samuel comes before kings and then they chronicle all the other kings. And that's why Chronicles comes after kings. But 1 Kings 3, we have the story of Solomon. And, and verse 5, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night. And God said, ask what you wish me to give you then Solomon said you have shown great loving kindness to your servant David my father accordingly as he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness and heart towards you and you have reserved for him this great loving kindness that you have given him a son to sit on the throne as it is this day now O Lord my God you have made your servant king in the place of my father David yet I am but a little child I do not know how to go out or come in Your servant is in the midst of your people who you have chosen, a great people who are too many to be numbered or counted. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge the great people of yours? It is pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. God had said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked for yourself long life, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked for the life of your enemies, but you've asked for yourself discernment, to understand justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart, so that there has been no one like you before, nor shall one be like, like you arise after you. I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there will be, not be any among the kings like you all your days." If you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and commandments as your father David walked, then I will prolong your days. Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream, and he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered the burnt offering and made peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. That's just to say, when Solomon is approaching this with wisdom, understand he's been given this wisdom by God, and it is a wisdom beyond what we have understanding for, and so it would be it would behoove you to pay close attention to what he's saying. And we've covered that in verses 1 and 2. Solomon has an insight and a wisdom and a power of observation that we don't have. And so when he says there that this is a grievous task in verse 13, then when he defines that and he says, because in much wisdom there is much grief and increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. And I... I, Ross can answer, or Ross can attest to this. Uh, Ross has done far more emergency medicine and acute medicine and wilderness medicine, all these things. that I was in McCook, Nebraska, but you were like in the bush where there's bears, (laughs) which is totally different. And the more knowledge you have and the more training you had and the more you were out there exercising that, the more heartache and pain and suffering you saw. Would you agree with that? Absolutely, it's true. Something they don't really teach you as you're taking your, getting ready to take your MCAT in medical school or to get into medical school. And and even Solomon himself, as we look at, it, I'm, I'm back in First uh, Kings 3, the first thing that uh, we see is that Solomon has, uh, we give, get an example of how Solomon judges wisely. And these two women are, come to him, and there, there, there are two harlots, two whores, and one of them has rolled over and killed her baby, and the other one hasn't. And we all know the story. Solomon says, okay, can't decide whose baby's left alive. Let's just cut the baby in half. And one of the women is like, fair. And the other's like, no, let her have it. He's like, okay, now we know which one. Great story but the exposure of Solomon to the depth of depravity of the one who's willing to hack somebody's child in half to get what they want. is just one example of where wisdom and understanding and interaction with that as you deal with the human condition and human depravity brings much grief. Solomon would have known and understood the grief of having wisdom. Back in Ecclesiastes, look at that, we just covered a chapter in in under 20 minutes. We're flying. So I said to myself, come now, I will will test you with pleasure, so enjoy yourself. And behold, it too was futility. I said of laughter, it is madness and of pleasure. What does it accomplish? It's really important that we get through chapter 2 because I don't want to leave you guys with that because that'd be a sad place to stop. I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind was guiding me wisely and how to take hold of folly until I could see what good there is for the sons of men to do under the heaven the few years of their lives. So we have this picture of of uh, Solomon basically deciding, okay, I'm going to try and just enjoy myself. And, and we sometimes look at this and we think of folly as being something um, like Seward's folly, historical reference, like, like really stupid thing to do. And you know it's dumb and you're going to do it anyway. But, but really the term would also include things like going to a football game or going to the fair. Or um, doing something for fun, doing something because it's enjoyable, going to a play, things like that, playing a video game, and so he's doing all these things. And and I think this is, we're going to basically walk through. How most of us view life when we're younger, we see these things as okay. How can I enjoy myself? Not not how can I sin in this way, but more how can I entertain myself with the time that I have today? And he he goes under he goes into that and he sees that hey this is it doesn't accomplish anything. Um, yeah, it's fun for a little while, but very quickly it loses its, its enjoyment. And so then in verse 4, I enlarged my works. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself. I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made ponds of water for myself from which to irrigate a forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and I had homeborn slaves and I possessed flocks and herds larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. So now we see what a lot of us do is we move beyond that from from the stage of of doing things because it's enjoyable and looking forward to the weekend to, okay, I'm going to start doing the things that help me build my career or build my family or train up my children and be involved in church. Some of these things are great. Some, you know, be a great soccer coach. I'm going to do... Um, get involved in a ministry. I mean, all these things are. It's not that they're not either good or bad. In this, in this case, he's he's taking all of his resources, which were pretty amazing, and he's building these amazing gardens and parks and and forests and ponds and all these things that he's building. He's building this huge business, and he has all these employees slash slaves um he has all these people working for him you think of where elon musk is right now this is where elon musk is in figuring out vanity of vanities right now he's still building and and producing and then we go to the next stage also i collected for myself silver and gold and treasure of kings and provinces i provided for myself male and female singers and the pleasures of men, many concubines, in the name of science. Remember, he's studying. So so he, he starts collecting and gathering for himself. And we're going to talk about collecting and gathering here at the end of this chapter. So just bear that in mind. So he does all these things, and he... Then I become great and increase more. I should probably really quick back up. That Again, that collecting and gathering is not all bad. Again, don't, don't assume that all these things are negative things. Um, the idea of being sure you can provide for yourself and your loved ones so that they don't become a burden and you don't become a burden is a good thing. Then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me. This whole time he's doing these activities in his mind, looking to see what value there is. Is there anything to satisfy? All that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of all my labor. And this was my reward for all my labor. So his reward for his hard work was that he was pleased with himself. And we'll come back and touch on that as well. Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I had exerted. And behold, all was vanity and striving after wind, and there was no profit under the sun. Now, he does, he does say that there is, there is something even beyond labor that has a value to you. You can be proud of, or you can, you can be uh, impressed with, and those sound like terrible words, but, and on the surface they can be, but you can be pleased with yourself when you've done good. Who isn't? Who doesn't um, go and do a race... And do better than they expected, and are not happy with themselves for having done it. That's that's how we that's how we're built. That's how we're wired. And there's there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. I know. In raising my boys, uh, I tried to impress on them that hard work is its own reward. Yeah, it's hard, and you may get it may not be worth it to you just because of what was produced. But there's something inside you that that should take uh, pleasure in the fact that you've done this thing. But honestly, and I have to say so humbly, all of that was even striving after the wind, and there was no prophet under the sun, and he's going to get into why that is. So verse 12, So I turned to consider wisdom, madness, and folly. For what will the man do who will come after the king except what has already been done? And I saw that wisdom excels... Folly as light excels darkness. So he recognizes that being wise is better than just being frivolous. Foolish is probably a little bit of a strong word there. But he brings in this idea that this will all come to an end. He says, what will a man do who will come after the king except what has already been done? You know, we touched on that in 1 Kings 3 there. The the, the notion is, is that David is done, and now here comes Solomon, and Solomon recognizes that this is a big deal, that God has taken what David has built and now handed it to his son to build upon that. That's not necessarily a normal thing on how things work in this world. So what, what will... What will the man do who will come after the king except what has already been done? In all that Solomon accomplished, whether it's with his slaves, with his concubines, with building his gardens and everything and entertaining himself, there will come better and bigger and more than what he himself has even done. But he understands that wisdom is better than folly, just as light excels darkness. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. In spite of that, in spite of the fact that wisdom excels folly and light excels darkness, and being wise is better than being a fool, one fate befalls them both. There's this thing in the back of his mind that says, you know what? Even doing all of these things, I understand that I will die and leave this to somebody else. And I said to myself, As is the fate of the fool, it will also befall me. Why then do have I been extremely wise? So I said to myself, This too is vanity. For there is no lasting remembrance of the wise man as with the fool, inasmuch as in the coming days all will be forgotten, and how the wise men and the fool alike die. So I hated life, for the work which had been done under the sun was grievous to me, because everything is futility and striving after the wind. Now If you're like me, you're like, well, you know what, Solomon? We did remember you. (laughs) I don't know who the fool was in your your chamber that would come in and, and dance and juggle and stuff. We don't remember him. We remember you. This is talking about generalities. But the idea here is that even if you live a really wise, good, godly life, somebody could live a very foolish life. One, they could outlive you. And two... A hundred years from now, there's a really good chance no one's going to remember either one of you. And that's the point he's making. And we can all see that. We all know that's true. So, what's the point? Again, we're looking at this under the sun. So I hated life for the work which had been done under the sun was grievous to me because everything is futility and striving after wind. Thus I hated all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun for I must leave it to the man who will come after me. Those of you who are setting up inheritances for your children, you may want to listen. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool, yet he will have control over all the fruit of my labor for which I have labored by acting wisely under the sun. This, too, is vanity. Therefore, I completely despaired of all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun. Now, before we uh, pass this on as just his observation, we should probably remember what happened with Solomon's kingdom. Does anyone know the name of Solomon's son? Yeah. So, King Rehoboam. First Kings twelve. Um. So Rehoboam in this uh, consults with the elders of. After Solomon has died, all the elders who had served his father Solomon in verse six while he was still alive saying, "How do you counsel me to answer this people?" And the people are uh, are are telling him that the, everything your father did to build all this stuff that we just read about was way too much work you 've got to go easy on us now we 've done this for a generation. Uh, allow us some rest and he consults with the elders and they spoke to him saying. If you will be a servant to this people today and will serve them and grant them their petition and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. But he forsook the counsel of the elders which he had, they had given him and consulted with the young men who grew up with him and served him. So he said to them, What counsel do you give that we may answer this people who have spoken to me, saying, Lighten the yoke which your father put on us. The young men who grew up with him spoke to him, saying, Thus you shall say to this people, You spoke who spoke to you, saying your father made... Our yoke heavy? Now you make it lighter for us. But you shall tell them my little finger is thicker than my father's loins. Whereas my father loaded with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. And then if you continue on in that chapter, the kingdom gets divided and he loses the kingdom. He loses everything Solomon built. So when Solomon in Ecclesiastes is saying... Who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool who comes after him and receives all this inheritance. Yet he will have control over all the fruit of my labor for which I have labored by acting wisely under the sun. This too is vanity. Therefore I completely despaired of all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun. And he makes you wonder if Solomon looked at Rehoboam while he's writing Ecclesiastes and went, oh crap, this is going to be bad. Um, I have a very good friend who uh, has more money than he knows what to do with, and he lives actually a fairly simple life. And he's like, yeah, I had to set up my, my estate, doing some estate planning with my wife. And he said, my daughter will receive the full inheritance the day I die. My son would be dead in six months if I did that. He can't have it. He'll get little bits at a time. And he's trying, what he's doing is he's trying to control what happens with his money afterwards. And each one of us tries to do that. And it's not that that's bad. Just understand, you, don't, you do not have any control. That keeps shrinking. I'm worried that the whole thing will just collapse if I do that. There. All right. For what does a man get in all his labor and his strivings with which he labors under the sun? Because his, all his days his task is painful and grievous. Even at night his mind does not rest. This too is vanity. The way that work can actually drive you to the point of relieving you of any kind of rest and restoration. Certainly there. And those of you who have pressed to achieve great things in, in your careers or with your family um, know what that's like to push yourself so hard and, and yet know and understand that those things are outside of your control. Yet it doesn't stop you from losing sleep at night. So conclusion, there's nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good this also I have seen, that it is from the hand of God. Now, a couple things there. Eat and drink and be merry and relax. Tell yourself your labor is good. This is from the hand of God. Are all things from the hand of God good? In, the, in this, and you're like, no. And it, certainly, we, we already saw that this, this exercise that he's going through I set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom concerning all that has been done under heaven. It is a grievous task which God has given to the sons of men to be afflicted with. Understand the hand of God hands out affliction and goodness. Even to those who he loves. This is the king of Israel who he blessed with this wisdom that turned out to be, in some regards, a curse. There's nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This also I've seen that is from the hand of God. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? Ah, there's a key. For to a person who is good in his sight, he has given wisdom and knowledge and joy while in the, the, to the sinner, he has given the task of gathering and collecting so that he may give it to the one who is good in God's sight this person that he just described in the first part of the verse. This too is vanity and striving after the wind. Now bear with me here. The argument then is that he is making here, it's not an argument. What he is telling us here is that this idea that you eat and drink and enjoy the fruit of your labor is from the hand of God. That being true, it can be enjoyed only because of God or with God. You have to have God involved in it for you to enjoy it. And those who have God involved in it and enjoy it do so. Those who don't do so and don't sleep at night, and they end up giving it. And eventually that stuff ends up in the hands of somebody who actually understands that these things are from God and can be rightfully enjoyed there's a lot in there to unpack and i think it would help if we looked at two different passages in scripture to help us unpack this let's go to first timothy first timothy 4 One, but the spirit explicitly says that, in latter times, some will fall away from faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. so I just read that just so you know what 's about to follow next is doctrines of demons. by the way, demons are real, um, and they 're around today by means of hypocrisy of liars seared by their own conscience, as with the branding iron so that 's the men who are teaching this men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. For it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. If you truly are thankful to God, and it is something that is true, something that is good, something that is is real, that you can give God thanks for and appreciate, by all means, enjoy it. So how is it that back in, in Ecclesiastes, when it says that person who is good in his sight, he has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, while the sinners, he has given the task of gathering and collecting so that he may give to the one who is good in God's sight. That all is good. It is, it is possible to eat and drink and enjoy those things. And those things are, whether you appreciate them or not, they are from the hand of God. And if you want to enjoy those things, you enjoy those things with this in mind, that you're thankful for God who gave them. Now, good luck being thankful for a sinful thing that you should not be pursuing. You can't do it. Good luck telling God, hey, thanks for giving me a mistress. Thanks for letting me get drunk every weekend. Those are the extremes. But clearly... 1 Timothy is saying that no it needs to be those things that you can that are sanctified by the word of God which is truth is it truly a good thing in prayer is it something that God has created for us to enjoy specifically they're looking at at marriage and food but I think you can branch it out to the other things we get to enjoy in this life and not be too far off so Solomon is not teaching self-flagellation you don't just beat yourself up in this life and don't enjoy anything quite the quite the opposite first timothy makes it clear that's not what he's teaching you can have things and enjoy things but you do so in the context of who god is and that he gave them to you and and to close let's look at luke luke 12 not luke figgy let's don't all look at luke Luke 12 12:13 12, Really an amazing story here that takes place someone in the crowd said to him teacher tell my brother to divide my fa- the family inheritance with me But he said to man said to a man who appointed me a judge and arbitrator over you Then he said to them, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he tells them a parable saying, the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns, I'll build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain And my goods, and I will say to my soul, almost as always quoting Ecclesiastes here. Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, well, I'll just keep going. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. We'll stop there for just a second. What I think is interesting is I have to wonder, and, and, and I, I can't wait to find out, whether or not this story Jesus tells is the story that, of this person that came to him with, hey, have him divide my inheritance. And what happened was his father had just died because he had just built a bunch of barns and said, I'm going to be fine. And now... His life was already required of him. It makes me wonder if Jesus is just relating to him the story that's an actual fact that happened to him. But anyway, we have this picture of a person who did those things that Ecclesiastes talks about, gathered together for himself and decided, okay, it's a good thing. I'm just going to eat, drink, and be merry. The problem is he did that under the sun. He didn't do it under heaven. He didn't do it in light of who God is and the fact that God is the one who gives those things and they can be enjoyed. Had he said, I have all these things, I can take it easy. I can eat and drink and be merry and be thankful to God. And now I can use these things and and take care of them in a way that, that you would do so if you were truly thankful to God for giving them to you. Instead, he just laid up treasure for himself here on earth only. There was no picture of eternity when he did these things. As stated in 21, the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God, he did not understand that what he had just done was ultimate vanity because as Ecclesiastes 1 and 2 says, your fate is the same as the person who didn't have those things. Your fate is the same as a fool. Your fate is the same as a wife. It's all the same unless there's an interaction with God in your in your possessions and in what you're striving to achieve. We mentioned possessions, but don't forget we're also talking about entertainment and those things we do for enjoyment and the businesses we're involved with and all the 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 undertakings that you have in your life. All those things fall under the purview of God if you allow that to take place. There's value in them beyond just that you can be thankful and they can be enjoyed according to First Timothy with thankfulness. Verse 22, And he said to his disciples, For this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat nor your, for your body as to what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor weep, and they have no storeroom nor barn and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are then the birds. And which of you by worrying can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you can't do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? Consider the lilies, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. Just in case you're wondering if Jesus is referring back to Ecclesiastes. But if God so clothes the grass In the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, is thrown into the furnace. How much more will he clothe you, you men of little faith? It is an interesting allusion there to our own eternal destiny, isn't it? Alive today and tomorrow, the possibility of being thrown into a fiery furnace. Do not seek what you will eat or what you will drink, or do not keep worrying. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek, but your father knows you need these things. Seek his kingdom and all, and and these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. There's this idea then that of all the material in this world, if you pursue any of these things outside of the enjoyment of God, outside of the thankfulness you have to God for his provision, then you're gonna wind up empty. You'll be the king nothing that Metallica sings of and that they've experienced. They sing of their own lives. They sing of their own truth. But if you can do it with God and and pursue those things, What's interesting is what will happen is those things will become less and less valuable to you, and you'll hold on to them less, and you'll just go, yeah, neat, I get them, and I can enjoy them, and this is is great, but this isn't it. This isn't the end. This isn't why I'm here. This isn't what I'm pursuing at all. What I'm pursuing is eternity. I know and understand that I will die someday, and these things will be given to someone else, and who knows what's going to happen to them. What's more important to me is that I'm living and understanding and investing in eternity. If you do not have that, if you do not have that idea that everything you have needs to be in light of all eternity, you will live a life that ends in great disappointment. You live long enough, you'll see it. And it will be a terrible day. It'll be like the, the, the foolish man that builds his house on the sand and it, a storm will come and it'll all wash away. It's just amazing that the creator of the universe was teaching this lesson to these men. He was the arbitrator. He was the judge. Interestingly enough, when he asks the man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? It's like, well, God Almighty did. And then he goes on and he teaches him. And you just pray that the man realized that the kingdom of, of, of all the universe under heaven was in front of him. And then we think, how is it that we ourselves get to enjoy these things? The only way you enjoy the things and truly enjoy them and can truly be thankful to them is if you understand that all of this is folly without Jesus Christ, without what he's done for you on the cross for your sins to allow you the access to enjoying this creation, this wonderful creation that God has given, then it's just folly. It's worthless it's entertainment for a time, and then it'll be gone. If you do not have Christ, turn to him, believe in him, have faith in him to save your eternal soul. He died on the cross to make that possible. Otherwise, it's vanity of vanities, futility of futility. Let's pray. Lord, you are a great and gracious king. There's so much in this world to enjoy. and Lord, we live in the fallen world. We don't live in the world that existed before the fall. What a glorious place that must have been. Even, even the world before the flood, Lord. Before you wiped everything clean and started anew. What a world that must have been that you had given. And Lord, we look forward to the world that is to come, that you will establish here on earth. And we look forward to, to receiving glorified bodies that can fully enjoy All of the entertainment, all of the things, all of the the pursuits that we have, Lord. All being washed in your glory. Lord, we look forward to that day. When we're no longer encumbered by sin and this creation no longer groans to return to its former state of perfection. Lord, that's what we seek. We seek your kingdom. It's in your son's name we pray these things. Amen.